You're listening to the Maniverse Podcast with your host, Tom Traplin, and this is session number 126. Enrollment is officially open for the April 2023 Digital Marketing Bootcamp. We are taking all the strategies that we use for our clients and teaching the frameworks we use to drive online visitors and foot traffic from Google and social media, build up an email list of paying customers, send campaigns that sell and run ads, Facebook and Google that generate thousands of dollars in sales each month. Plus, we're going to cover two of the hottest topics facing game store owners over the coming months and years. The first being accessibility and making sure you and your business are protected from the slew of ADA-related lawsuits impacting the industry. We're going to go over how to make sure your website is accessible and compliant, and also how to protect yourself in the event that you get served. And the second being the recent advent of AI with the release of ChatGPT and how you can leverage this exciting new tool to make your SEO and content creation more effective and easier than ever. It's going to be four weeks, eight sessions of live over-the-shoulder training with value-packed 90-minute sessions Tuesdays and Thursdays each week, plus a little Q&A at the end of each. In case you need a little more incentive, bootcamp attendees are going to become Maniverse marketing agency clients in the future will get the price of the bootcamp discounted on the program. We are keeping the bootcamp small so the sessions can have the maximum impact. So if you want to be one of the five attendees for the next bootcamp and score an early bird discount, now is the time to join us. Go to manaversaga.com forward slash bootcamp and enroll today. Welcome to the Maniverse Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Traplin, and this is the podcast where we explore what it takes to build a successful, friendly local game store. If you like what you hear on today's episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast or whatever fine platform you're listening on. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, hit the like and subscribe button. As always, you can find the notes and links mentioned in today's episode at ManiverseSaga.com. We've got David Finn on the podcast today. David is the owner of Gigabytes Cafe in Marietta near Atlanta. Gigabyte, Gigabytes, excuse me, Cafe was founded by David Finn 14 years ago. As he is the host of a gaming community of thousands, one of the largest in the region, and is Atlanta's best stocked tabletop retail space. David is also the owner of Bridge, Bridge Distribution, specializing in a huge variety of hobby products. And I'm very excited to explore both sides of distribution and retail in this conversation. And uh, welcome, David, to the podcast. Let's get started. Yeah, thank you very much. Great to be here. How has your morning gone so far? Uh, it has been interesting. <laughs> I am I am currently sitting in my office at the warehouse uh, for Bridge, uh, trying to deal with 10 containers that are supposed to arrive. And uh, the first two have not arrived. They're AWOL. So we are, we're currently trying to figure that out. But, uh, you know, it's pretty pretty standard for, uh, uh, you know, uh, distribution. <laughs> for the course, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, and I definitely want to explore some of the supply chain stuff because we're we're just kind of coming out of the you know the whole pandemic situation, and everyone mm -hmm. has been aware of the, the the issues with the supply chain for quite a long time. Oh yeah, uh, it's imagine been you have to be a Yes, sir. All right. Well, but, before we get into that, let's go back to the beginning. We've we're going pretty far back in time at this point to the the origins of Gigabytes Cafe and how you got into this whole industry and you know, like. Give us the origin story for David Finn. Oh man, that is that's an interesting. One. It's it's by accident. So uh, Gigabytes actually we opened in two thousand seven. So we, you you look at the names Gigabytes Cafe doesn't really call out hobby store right because we weren't when we when we first opened. Uh, I moved from Ireland 
and had a great idea, wanted to live in America, uh, you know, get caught by the American dream, and decided, you know, what's a great business to open would be an internet cafe. So, <laughs> the name makes more probably not the smartest thing in the world, not the smartest thing in the world. So in 2007, anyway, we, we went ahead and did it. We opened an internet cafe called Gigabytes Cafe. Uh, it went all right, you know, then 2008 happened. Uh, you know, the world kind of went to, to the crap. And uh, we started casting around, basically looking for stuff to do. Uh, so I happened to actually be at the Mall of Georgia and uh, walked by this little store called Games Workshop. Said, oh, that looks kind of cool. And, you know, looked for something to do, hobby. Walked in, bought a box. And uh, I think it was, it was uh, Battle for McCrag, right? So this was fourth edition. And uh, what I would do while waiting for nobody to come into my internet cafe, because nobody needs internet cafes in America, it seems, not like Europe. Uh, I would be sitting, I'd be modeling and building. And a few kids and stuff we would have coming in, we, we noticed they kept paying attention to it, right? Kept asking about it, kept, you know, what is this? What are you doing? Why are you painting? Etc. And uh, we literally sat down, myself and my wife, because it was just the two of us. We said, this is kind of our last roll of the dice. So let's see what we can do. So I want to say it was like our last $1,800, right? We contacted Games Workshop and we opened up a Games Workshop account. And got our first order, immediately eBayed off and sold all the Warhammer Fantasy items, right? So we said, all right, only 40K, and uh, started carrying 40K product. Uh, started, just basically had a little wall, right? It was like four racks, maybe 30 items. And we got really lucky. A store, another store in the area happened to be closing, and their player base was looking for somewhere to go. Looked it up, saw, hey, you guys carry 40K product, came into us and said, hey, we'd like to move over and play it, you guys. So we were like, good, well, yeah, sure, great. We're not doing anything else. Nobody else is coming in for internet cafe, right? So uh, we started building tables. Literally just got a bunch of plywood, built some tables. People started coming in, started buying product. We would immediately reorder product, uh, do all-nighters, you know, pretty much whatever we could. I mean, I was 22, so I didn't need sleep. Um, and it, it was really strange. As it, as it kind of more people came and heard about us, it started to grow. We started taking away computers. We started ripping down walls. We started putting up more tables. And the whole business basically just morphed into this tabletop gaming. And uh, we started to just slowly expand, 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 uh, adding more ranges, adding more items. Uh, and uh, it, just, it just kind of morphed from Gigabytes Cafe into Gigabytes Tabletop Cafe. And eventually by like... Probably within a year and a half, all the computers were gone. All the walls were ripped down, which is really funny when you're looking at the first place because you really went from a tile floor to a green carpet floor to a gray carpet floor, and people would wonder, well, why, why, why is this? Why is all this different carpet with no walls? Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, you'd have to explain that story to them. And, and yeah, it was just, it was great. We've we've expanded ever since. You know, we've moved, oh God, four times, I think. We, we've gone from a staff of literally, as I said, me and my wife, uh, I think after two years, we hired our first employee. We now hire 28 people. Wow. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's just exploded. Uh, we, we're known in the area now for, for being a miniature gaming store, right? So that's, that was always our niche. Everybody sells Magic Gathering. Everyone sells board games. Not many people in Georgia and Atlanta uh, did concentrate on miniature games. So that's what we kind of went for. And uh we're lucky it worked, you know, but, uh, definitely, definitely has been an experience, you know, when you move from, from Europe, from Ireland, 
to to Atlanta, where there's more people who live in Atlanta Metro than they do in the entire country I came from. Uh, it's definitely a, a change trying to see how business moves and how it changes, and 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 that idea that just one little thing, like you capture that one little thing, that's what the change is. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. It's been it's been a ride for sixteen years. <laughs> yeah, that's quite the story. Very scrappy. Yes, yeah, it's uh, definitely a lack of sleep and a lot of coffee. It's amazing what you can do when you're young and you've got the energy. Yeah. You're just like, oh, let's just go, yeah. we'll make it happen, right? Not anymore. I, I kind of rolled out of bed this morning and was like, oh, why is everything hurting right now? This is not fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's how Gigabytes got started. I was curious of like, okay, where's this name fit into what you do now? And it seems to be like, yeah. oh, you know, is this, did you ever have a thought about like changing the name and updating the brand to something that's more reflective? No, you know. Not really, because I'm a, I'm a big believer in in having building your brand right and building your name. So rather than changing it, changing it to me always seems like some people say it's a new beginning, but for me it's like oh well you're changing, you know obviously what you did in the past doesn't work, so you're changing right, and it's 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 moving away from what you wore. So even though yeah gigabytes doesn't really matter, we actually melded that into the brand we have right. So our logo is a robot, and it's the gigabyte robot. And everything we do is, is a, you know, a giga thing, right? <laughs> um, so we, we just build it into the branding. And so we, we, we line everything up. Literally everything we do is, is branded for gigabytes, branded with a logo, branded with their name, or Facebook groups are branded with our name. Um, and so we just we, we pushed out that way. And it's kind of been great because it's very unique, right? So it does start that conversation. Well, what, why is it called gigabytes? And then you can tell people, you know, because I was an idiot 16 years ago. <laughs> Thought a little cafe was a good idea, um, <laughs> you know, and it gets it gets people asking what the store is, and it differentiates you as well. Like you know, it, it doesn't talk about dice or board games. It's just, well, what is this? Yeah, no, I like it. I I think that's a really good lesson to point out that if you can really lean into something, uh, mm -hmm. even if it's not, I guess, traditional. You know, what most people think of as game branding or game tabletop branding. It can still work as long as you really yeah. go into it and make it your thing, right? And yeah, it, it and you can become a point of discussion that people like connect and be like, well, "Why? What is this all about?" Right? And they kind of dive in even deeper. Whereas, I guess if it were a more traditional name or something like that, uh, that you wouldn't have to ever have that conversation. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, as I said, we brand everything. I mean, our, our store credit's called Gigabooks. Mm -hmm. um, you know, our, our our product demo guys are called Gigachamps. Uh, it's it's just and you you know you you see it in the post and people are like where are you going well we're going to Giga this week this week and uh, and they just know right so people just know if you come to Atlanta you just go to Giga right it's not even gigabytes whatever it's just G I G A and that's that's all they need to know and they know where they're going yeah so. no, I'm a, I'm a big fan of any sort of naming convention that can be very easily mm -hmm. shorthanded yes like, <laughs> almost all the the like major successful ones especially like when I was younger and I think of all the stores that I used to spend time with, there was always some real, like it was a Gemini, like instead of Gemini jetpack, it was just Gemini or, you know, yeah. deja vu instead of deja vu games. Like it was always just, there's, there's something about it that makes it a little bit more personal as a mm -hmm. consumer and somebody who visits the store, it makes it like this, a little bit more yours. If you can, you know, give it a little pet name that makes it easy to, yes. Yeah. Easy to well, it, it, we, we're always big, strong believers in um, just becoming top of mind. I mean, 
uh, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll hear people like Gary Ray and all they always talk about being top of mind store, being the first name. So as I said, you come to Atlanta, you think of gigabytes. And we want to be on that same par of like, you don't search for something, right? You Google it. Uh, you know, it's it's being that name that just becomes, so you don't, you, when you think of miniature gaming, particularly in Atlanta, you don't think of anybody else, you think of gigabytes, right? And uh, that's always been our target. So, and that's why, we, you know, why would we, we wouldn't change that because we've done so much work it feels like it would just remove all that work to change the name to become something more generic. Yeah, no, I, I like that a lot. I think that's, that makes a lot of sense. You've become synonymous with that thing that you yep. knew in that area. That's perfect. exactly like prior to Google, like who knew what a Google was, right? Like Google has nothing <laughs> to do with search, right? It's not like Google search engine. It's just Google. Yeah. That's all you... I, mean, I don't ping anything. So <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. So that's, that's Gigabytes Cafe. At what point does all of the rest of the things, like you're not just the store owner, like you do a lot of stuff. Where does all this come from? Yeah, yeah, we do a lot. Um, so, you know, as I said, we grew, right? So Gigabytes, we want to become top of mind, right? We want to we want to control the Atlanta area, um, you know. And, we, you know, we work with other stores. We do a lot of cross events. But when it comes to the things that we want to target, we want to own it. But the problem with that was, you know, as you expand, you know, as I said, everybody does magic. Everybody does board games. A lot of people do Games Workshop, right? So we decided we have to expand, right? We have to carry more than that. Carry Privateer Press, carry uh, Corvus Bella Infinity, etc. But the problem is, how do you get that product, right? So we started casting around and, you know, where can we order your products? Where can we get your products? And we found in typical distribution, they don't order enough, right? Uh, typical distribution will order uh, usually pre-orders plus 5%. If it's a hot game, pre-orders plus 10%, right? So if they do 100 pre-orders, they might have 110 copies, which is not, not great if you want to become top of mind, right? If you want to be the store that, that has everything and, and carries this product, you have to have that product and you have to be able to carry it. So we started reaching out to these, we, ha we had to start reaching out directly to companies for their products. So if we want to carry Shield Wolf Miniatures, as an example, which is a great company, they make fantasy models, they're in Cyprus. Well, we couldn't get them from a distributor here in the US. So we had to reach out to them directly, mm -hmm. right? And then you're ordering directly, you're paying shipping, you're paying customs, you're paying all this stuff. And it's paying. It's not paying when you're doing it three, four, five times. But we found we at one point, we had 67 direct contacts for you know, smaller companies that might be out of country that you're paying for shipping and you're paying. And eventually I got so annoyed. <laughs> I literally just started reaching out to people like, listen, let me help you. Let me carry your product. Um, let me, I will distribute in the U.S. I will sell it in the U.S. Um, and I will be your main point. Um, and that's what led to Bridge, right? Bridge Distribution. So we already had uh, Bridge as a company existed. We, we, do, we did direct sales. It's Bridge Media. Uh, we sold, we sell DVDs and CDs, right? So the framework was already there, but we tell people we're used to this. We know what we're doing. Um, so let us handle your US. And what we found was that same problem where distributors are not buying product, but also these European publishers did not understand the American market, right? If they were to move to America, they'd probably try open an internet cafe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um and they just didn't want to know about it. So we would we came in and we go, listen, let us help. We will do your distribution. We will do your your sales. And we just we we 
basically sell, pay you for whatever we sell. Right? It's a consignment model that most distribution is on these days. And it worked. It worked great. You know, we started gathering these companies um, and it just started to expand where they need help shipping to their, their, their purchase, consumers in the U.S. So we would ship their orders. We would then start soliciting to retailers and we would have stock ourselves. Um, and it just grew, right? And as, we, as the company grew, we just added more and more and more and more uh, people coming in uh, because that's, it's just filling that need that the current traditional distribution wasn't filling. Um, and we concentrate again, you know, as I said, it goes back to everybody carries magic, everybody carries board games. We contracted on, con concentrated on niche, um, ranges, right? Products that are not easily found in the big five distributors in the U S. Uh, so it gives you a, a different view. It gives you a different, uh, selection to buy from, which in turn as a retailer, makes you more interesting to the consumer and makes makes them think of you first. Well, I want to go somewhere and find something cool. I'll go to Gigabytes or I'll go to whoever is buying from Bridge because I know they'll have something that nobody else has. And it's just, it's it's kind of just grown. Um, again, same thing with Bridge. As our Gigabytes, you know, I said we moved four times. Uh, this warehouse I'm currently sitting in is our fourth move. And it started on the, it started on the gaming tables at Gigabytes, the company, uh, like the distribution portion of the company. Uh, opened up on the gaming tables and then we moved to a warehouse and then another, 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 another. So, yeah, it's it's exciting. Also terrifying. So. Yeah. Sounds like you've got a lot going on. Yeah, yeah. It's um, It's been interesting, you know. Uh, the only downside was we launched the distribution portion fully because we had been doing fulfillment for a year or two beforehand. Like, you know, we opened Bridge as a company opened in 2015, as I said, doing direct sales. 2018, we started doing a bit of fulfillment for third-party people. And then 2020 was when we launched distribution, Perfect. which was probably the worst timing anybody could possibly do. Uh, Gamma 2020 um, launched distribution and then the whole world shut down for a year and a half. Yeah, a week later. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's it's been great. You know, we have, I think we work with 150 uh, plus publishers now. And most of them are, are smaller publishers that are, are one to two games uh, that regular distribution doesn't will not pick up, right? They either don't have uh, uh, enough of a catalog or they don't have enough big hype to be noticed. You know, like if it's Frosthaven, it's different. Mm -hmm. But if it's um, a smaller company like like this one here, uh, I don't know if you want me to show them, but um, who is a brand new game and it's just launched on Kickstarter, has one SKU, is looking to get into distribution but doesn't know how. So that's that's how we help. Do you have a lot of Kickstarter relationships? Like, do you reach out to people that are launching games on the platform? Oh yeah, yeah, we do. Um, and again, with, with Bridge, because we are we are um, we do a lot of sales, we a lot of do shipping. We're we're pretty experienced, and because we're not ingrained solely in the hobby industry as part of Bridge, we we kind of can we do think outside the box a little bit and how to ship and where to ship. So we we were gathering a lot of Kickstarters. In December, we did five concurrent kickstarters at the same time which is to be honest quite a feat uh, if you're doing you know five kickstarters of three to four thousand units each or backers each you know and fulfill them all uh within you know four or five weeks uh, and a lot of them are, are backers that also again need help right they're being told by you know, it's, a, it's a completely different conversation right they're being told by fulfillment houses that they're going to be three four or five months away and you know it's we're kind of saying to them well no we can do it 
in two weeks. <laughs> you know? uh, what well, I don't see why. Um, and a lot of those appreciate that. And then again, we had the added benefit of Bridge, where a Kickstarter comes in. We do the Kickstarter, and a lot of fulfillment houses. Once the Kickstarter is done, you're done, right? You 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 just move on. Um, whereas a bridge, we go, all right, well, your Kickstarter is done. What's next? Well, we've got distribution. Uh, you've got direct sales on your website. Do you want to sell on Amazon? Do you want to consolidate to larger distribution? As I said, a larger distribution won't pay attention to a small company, but they will pay attention to us because we have 150 small companies. And then we literally send them a list and go, here are the list of the people we have, you know, check them out. And that's how smaller companies start to get noticed by using, you know, ourselves. And it's not just ourselves. I mean, it's it's a model that uh, Fun Again was using as well. Um, they concentrate more straight on consolidation, whereas we concentrated more on uh, direct retailers and, you know, direct consumer fulfillment. Uh, so it's, it's like, it's, but it's almost the same where they're trying to get smaller publishers in front of larger companies. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting industry. Yeah, for sure. And it sounds like you've really uh, found your niche within the niche, right? Like there's like yes. you found your yeah. slice of that ecosystem. Yeah, and again, it's that idea that you want to be the main person that's thought of, you know. Um, there's certain companies in the industry, you think of them, you know, quartermasters, the, the elephant in the room, right? They're the biggest or the largest. They've been around the longest, but they don't do um, distribution. So they'll do your fulfillment and they'll do... Um, Kickstarter fulfillment and product fulfillment, but then how do you get into retailers? How do you get into distribution? Whereas, and as I said, Fun Again was great, they, but they concentrate more on, on distribution to um, uh, consolidation to distribution, but they didn't do as much distribution to retailers either or consumer fulfillment. And so we, we stepped in and said, okay, well, we have to do it all, right? The one-stop shop, we do, as I said, we do distribution, we do retail, we do direct, we do Amazon, we do marketing services for people. So we just try to hit everything that we can to offer for them. And, uh, you know, and a lot of it comes back, right? It comes back to being a retailer Gigabytes. What did I absolutely hate <laughs> from buying from a distributor? Um, and what, where are my pain points? And trying to find those pain points and fix them on, on all levels of it is. We even got to the point... Um, Whitbridge, as I said, you know, larger distribution will not pay attention to you till you have a certain range of products. Well, when we started at Bridge, we didn't have that certain range of products, right? We, we started out and said we picked up one or two or three small publishers. Mm-hmm. And we were like, well, they're not, going to, they're not going to pay attention to us. And in the same idea with Gigabytes, we said, well, we want, to, we want to conquer this area. We want to own this area. We want to be the mind. What do we need to do? Uh, we launched our own publishing arm. <laughs> so... Again, in 2020, you know, we said we launched this distribution. They're not really going to pay attention to us. In 2020, 2021, we signed 25 licenses and we published 25 games in a year and a half. Um, and now I think we're, I want to say we're over 52 uh, individual games and SKUs. We just had two arrive last week. And again, building that brand and building that name to make companies pay attention to us and want to, to buy. And, okay, well, it's worth looking at this company because here's this, this line of games that... They're not going to be in most other places, but they're great products. Like they're not going to be in most other distribution because we own it. Um, but they're great products to give me an edge as a retail store to offer something different, you know. Uh, so just just hitting all those angles. <laughs> You're building the Giga Empire. Yes, yeah. I like to do you know, the publishing arm. Going back to that branding is uh, called Giga Mech Games. 
so again and it's the same giga robo he's just it's a different logo with the same robot um so again it ties it all together so people know gigabytes is bridge is giga mech yeah and you know it's it's all the same line um yeah that's been great it, it helps on all levels right people know gigabytes people come to gigabytes and they know gigabytes is going to have stuff that nobody else has because bridge has stuff that nobody else has and wow. um yeah just lots of lots of opportunities yeah, so you've spread it out. You've got this massive, <laughs> massive operation in all sorts yeah. of areas of the industry. But you've also, yeah. like you said, you, you've got this unique angle on products that other people, like you can't find somewhere else. So you've yeah. got big and small kind of going at the same yeah. time, which is really interesting. And I, I want to dig into what you uh, you said before about like, as the retailer, there are certain things that you just despise dealing with with certain distributors like certain pain points right what yeah. were those pain points and how did you solve those like, well i said I, well as i said the big one is getting product right so a, a big issue we have with distributors is they'll carry a game right they'll they'll, they'll they'll buy a game they'll carry it and then they'll just stop right and then you can't get it anymore and there's nothing worse than having a product and having a range and say you have a new game and there's a core box and there's like six expansion boxes and then after like two weeks you can't get that core box anymore well, nobody's going to buy the game, right? Because they can't get into it. So you're sitting on these expansion boxes. You can't sell. You're wasting money. You can't order from the company because they're not reordering. Because I said, normally they only do pre-orders plus 10 or 15%. Or 10, 15% if it's really great. Um, but normally 5 to 10%. And uh, it just gets very painful, right? Because you can't reliably stock product. You can't expand into new products without doing a lot of extra legwork mm. and a lot of extra searching. Um, so that was that was the really the really big painful one, and just not um, not being treated as a partner, right? So while they're they're they're, they're carrying new range, right? And there's certain games you can think of, like Rune Wars came out a few years ago, and it came out and then it just dropped, or Keyforge and it comes out and it's just dropped, and you're just left holding the bag. But then at the same time, you're getting a solicitation of you know here's a bunch of magic, just buy all this magic or um you know just stuff that doesn't even con uh, pertain to me as a business right so we we sublet out at gigabytes our, our tcg side to another person mm -hmm. so i don't have to think about magic the gathering at all because i know nothing about it right um it's not my my core interest so we we sublet it to a, a, a partner um so for me uh, dealing with a retail uh, dealing with a distribution company uh, it's painful that they don't seem to care and it's not that they don't care right it's just if you're one of thousands of people they don't have time to care but there's no it's very impersonal um so you're just getting the same same force-fed like selection as everybody else mm -hmm. um again that being the main pain point that led to us changing all this you know right so we we proactively took those pain points we're like well we're not going we're going to fix ourselves because they're not going to fix it but um a lot of it is just that the ability to find and get product reliably is just awful, you know. And now we're on this side. We we actually, to be honest with you, there's no reason that that it is as hard because we we deal with a lot of publishers that directly sell to distribution, you know, regularly. And the constant and I talk to a lot of publishers, right? You know, I I, I do a lot of work in the industry. Just you know, work not really work. I talk to a lot of people. I don't know if that's work. Uh, yeah, but you often hear what we're doing right now. Yeah, but you often hear publishers saying, well, I have 
3,000 copies of my game sitting in PSI. Why did, not, why did it not have it in stock? And you're just like, well, they're just not ordering. And that's the thing because they just – they distribution focuses so much on, you know, the core, Magic the Gathering, you know, core board game sets, well, Games Workshop if you're Alliance because I think they're doing one to carry besides Games Workshop themselves. And I get it, right? You know, I understand it, but it's, it's, it's very risk-adverse. Um, yeah. And it's it it just leads to stagnation in the industry, right? It doesn't need to growth, it doesn't need to opportunity. Um, so it's it's frustrating, definitely frustrating. But it does lead to an opportunity in a sense for someone else to come in and say, "Hey, I might have a solution <laughs> to this. I might have an alternative." It does. Yeah, it does. It does. Lead, it does lead to that, that expansion if you're you're willing to be absolutely insane and and open up a whole other company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if regular traditional distribution is conservative in the sense that they are risk averse. Would you mm -hmm. characterize bridge as more risk accepting or you're, you're a little bit uh, more comfortable with taking on risks on smaller publishers and that sort of thing? Yeah, we definitely are. Now we, uh, when I say we are, but we also, we work in a different model, right? Cause we're not traditional. We work mainly on a consignment model. So, you know, and that's the difference, you know, regular distribution, they're not going to buy 5,000 copies of your game. And that's an important lesson for a small publisher, right? If you are launching a game and you print 10,000 copies with the expectation that distribution is going to buy 5,000 copies of that, that's not going to happen. Mm. We will work with that small publisher, but we also won't buy 5,000 copies up front. What we do in, in our risk acceptance is, you know, we take in your product, we take it on consignment, right? So say you send us 5,000 copies, we sell 100 copies this month, we send you a report for the 100 copies, you bill us for 100 copies, and we pay you, right? And then the 4,900 4, is still in our warehouse. Uh, the risk portion for us there is one, we have to sell it, right? It takes up space. Yep. Um, you know, uh, we have the staff, we have a full sales staff, we have a full marketing team that we have to pay to do the sales and the marketing for this product because we don't make money unless we sell your product. You don't make money unless we sell your product, but you know, for us, it's sitting in a in rented warehouse that we have to pay for. Uh, so that's where the risk is for us uh, in making selections in what we carry and who we carry. And we are more, uh, we do carry more risk because they are newer, smaller publishers, but also there is far more reward, right? Um, because if you carry uh, an Asmodee product, right? Well, go on, go on, look at Catan right now on Amazon, right? It's probably, what is the MSRP on Catan these days? It's like $60. It's probably $40 on Amazon, right? Yeah. And it costs you as a retailer $33 to $35. But if I carry uh, Praetorian Games Castlescape, for example, I know that game is $45. I don't know it's $45. It might be 50 I don't know the MSRP is often terrible. But say that game is $45, it's going to hold its value, right? Because it's not in 6,000 retail stores and it's not at Target and it's not at Amazon. So even though we have the risk that we are sitting on 5,000 copies of this game, we know if this game is good and we think it's good, and we must think it's good because we have it here, uh, it's going to sell, or a retailer, to be honest, more likely than us. We can sell it. Gigabytes can sell it. Um, but I can sell it to a retailer, say say it's $50, right? Just $50 is easy and it's way too early and I haven't had coffee. Uh, I can sell it to a retailer for $25, right? Wholesale 50% normally. And I can safely assure them that, hey, you know, you're going to get $50 for this game because it's not being deep discounted online and Target and shelves. Mm -hmm. And it's a different product that you're not going to see 
and that gives you more opportunity and more expansion. That's that's where we kind of that's where our our risk reward steps in and our, our what differentiates us as a store. And that all comes from gigabytes, right? That all comes from how do I become top of mind? How do I make people think of me rather than anybody else? You know, um, Gigabyte just ordered like 5,000 pieces of Puppet Wars this week that you can't get anywhere else in, in the U.S. pretty much. Um, but we have it so anyone in Atlanta uh, or the country can just order off us and, uh, and know that, that we're going to have it in Sunday. Yeah, you're, pr- you're bringing a unique value proposition alongside of things, which mitigates a lot of the risk, right? You've got that. Yes, uh, and, and, the thing, and the thing is you have to, right? In this day of, the day of, of Amazon, where, as I said, you can go on Amazon and buy Catan for $40, probably less than $40, right? Mm-hmm. You have to offer something. You, like, as a retail store, you have to offer something. You can't just open up with, like, you know, a backpack of magic cards, a table, and a dream because it doesn't work anymore. Even we even look back, you know, gigabytes we opened on like twenty thousand dollars in two thousand seven. You can't do that anymore, right? That's just not happen. Like, there's no amount of work that you do during the week that's going to make up the difference, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so nowadays, you have to figure out what is unique in your business, um, what makes you stand out, what makes what makes someone choose to go to you, right? And and it is that again going back, it is that that UVP, that branding, the community that builds, making people be part of it. You know, one thing when when I say we build a brand and we don't change the name of Gigabytes, uh, because as I said, people identify themselves as a Gigabytes player. That's where they go, and there's that level of community that just supersedes and defeats any amount of discount that Amazon can give. But you have to work on that, right? You have to have. Uh, reasons for them to do that right you have to repay repay the loyalty and the only way as a retailer right to repay the loyalty is in a weird way to offer more things for them to buy and offer more reasons reasons for them to come to you and sell it's it's a it's a strange relationship to be honest because for sure it's uh you know your your side is well what can i do to make you spend more money on me it's give you more options to spend more money on me and make you happy right you know <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a weird industry. In some ways, it's a fantastic, beautiful, crazy relationship that you have with your customers as a as a game store owner. But uh, I think it's a really interesting point, though, because most of the time when you talk about, like most game store owners think, okay, what's my unique value proposition? What am I bringing mm-hmm. to the market? Because like you said, you can buy Catan pretty much anywhere now. Like, and you, It's very hard for any game store to be able to compete on price versus Amazon. Yeah. It's impossible, basically, right? You just, you're just not going to happen. So what can you, you just offer? should. You just, you just should not compete on price, and honestly, and it's crazy. And there are stores out there that, that live and die by it, right? But, you're, you know, you're fighting if you were to look war, if you're going to try, huh? you're going to fight a yeah. losing war if you're going to try and compete. Well, you are, or you're just never going, you're never going to expand, you're never going to grow. And like, if you look at those stores and, you know, you know, the ones that are out there that, that are the loudest and talk about it, but then you see how many employees do they have? You know, what do they offer to people? Do they have gaming space? Do they offer events? How clean is their bathroom? You know, <laughs> um, so like you know, you have to you have to have something because the relationship of, of retailer and consumer it's not it's not even right. Like they're they're giving you cash, they're giving you something they work for every day, and you're giving them toys effectively. So you have to make sure that you have enough uh, items and toys and interest to keep 
keep them interested, right? Because it, a hobby store sits, I'm probably rambling. A hobby store sits in a weird place, like alongside bars and like, uh, you know, it's, it's where people go to relax, right? You know, bars and, you know, sports events and stuff like that. That's where a hobby store sits and you have to offer things to make them choose you over other places. Um, but you can't do that on price. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Price is no longer something that you can compete with. And I think yep. trying to compete on price is usually a bad strategy most of the time, unless you are like gigantic, like a place like Target or Walmart or something like that. And then it yeah, makes well, sense because you can do that on volume. But Yeah, you can like, do it on volume. You're working on a 2% margin that Target works on. Or, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's different if you're making 200 million. Exactly. Uh, if you're making 200,000 in a year. Yeah. And like, I, I'm probably going to butcher the quote, but I can't remember it exactly. But it's uh, basically price only matters when nothing else matters. You've got exactly. another way to differentiate. It all comes down to price. Yeah. And like if as a game store, that's the most, I feel like one of the most important things that you can do is figure out a way to stand out, to be different. And I think like the traditional offering is I've got a game. I've got game space. You can come play. Mm -hmm. I've got events. I've got organized play programs. I've got stuff, right? I've got things that yeah. I've got a community that you can come join. That's part of the the part of the offer, right? Part of the the value that a game yeah. store has, that a just a straight up like like a toy store that doesn't have that. Like it's just you come in, it's a retail. You know, you buy toys. Mm -hmm. There's no connection yeah. there. It's it's got to be about community, right? Yeah. So uh, it's in the same way everyone can offer magic and board games. Everybody can compete on price, right? But not everybody can compete on selection or events. Or the unique people that you have working for you, right? Yeah. So, as I said, with Gigabytes, we have, as I said earlier, we have 28 people. I think at Bridge, we have uh, 20, actually, it might be 28 as well. You know, but these are all unique people who have knowledge, have interests, and they, they build your brand and they build your image, and people come to see them. You know, the selection you have is, is how you compete because you have stuff that nobody else has, the events you carry. Um, even though for Gigabytes, the menu we do, right? We theme every month our, our, our food menu and we change it. So this month's Myths and Legends, we have, like, for example, the Gorgonzola. Um, we have a hidden menu called the 12 Labors of Hercules, which is absolutely delicious and terrifying to eat. And it's just things like that that, that build you. And, and, and again, going back to that, makes people think of you because they only have a limited amount of time to spend outside work, right? Outside work and family, they have limited time. So you want to make it, how do I get you to spend your time with me? <laughs> Um, it's not just price, right? Because they they can they can just go. Oh well, I'll just buy it on Amazon. It's two minutes. You know, I can literally be talking to you and buying something on my phone right now. It's one of the most important things that I think retailers should consider on a regular basis because it changes too, right? Something that might be unique and uh, useful and invaluable to your customer base today might not be as unique or valuable later on. And I think mm -hmm. the idea of having a like a selection of products. It's actually, it's very interesting because you think from the outside, uh, the hobby industry is already so like unique in its selection, right? Like you don't oh, yeah. find games workshop, you know, 40 K miniatures, you know, randomly walking down the aisle at Walmart or something like that. You're not going to, you're not going to find those products. So it's already very niche, but the idea mm -hmm. that there is even a deeper niche within the niche yeah. of selection of products that you can find and games that you can't find anywhere else. And that can also be something that you can offer to your community. That's a very valuable thing that people will will happily pay for if you can be reliably yeah. known 
as the shop where you can get all the really cool stuff that you just cannot find anywhere else. Exactly. Exactly. And, and it is, it's, it just depends what you lean into, right? Cause you got to make those choices and what you're going to be and what you're going to do. Uh, because unless you're insane like me, you can't try to carry it all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, maybe uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure there's only so much room for, uh, for bridge distributions and gigabytes ca- style cafe, uh, cafes. But uh, yeah, we're, we're, we we're, growing aspire, we're, right? we're, we're, we're spinning at the seams right now. So, you know, if someone else wants to pop in there and take up some, that would be great. <laughs> some <of it. laughs> if you're listening, keep, keep pointing right there. So as a retailer, what are some of the lessons that you've learned over the last 16 years now that you've, uh, you've been rolling along? What are some of the things that like, let's say, what are some of the biggest mistakes you made early on that? Uh... Oh my God, I have made some mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so definitely the most important thing is, you know, choose, you definitely have to choose what you're going to carry, right? You have to decide what you're going to be. So you have to choose what you're going to carry and you have to lean into 100%. You can't half lean into something, right? Because that's that's how you lose money, you waste money. You know, that same idea earlier, like, you know, if a distribution has a game and they don't stock the core set, you lose money because you can't sell the game. Well, the same way you as a retailer, if you were going to carry a range or a product, you have to carry the whole item, the whole product. And uh, we've done we've done seminars at Gamma about this before and we got a bit of backlash over it <laughs> because we literally said, if you're going to carry, let's say, Bolt Action, right? Bolt Action is a great World War II game from Warlord. You can't just carry the starter set, right? You got to carry the starter set, the infantry, the tanks, and then the ancillary products at the side because that, again, is what makes people want to buy from you because they know they can buy the starter set anywhere, right? They can go on a website and buy the starter set, but you, they know if they come to your store, they can get those secondary sets that might not be available elsewhere. So one thing we learned quickly is if you're going to carry something, you got to commit. Right, you got to commit fully to it. You got to you got to own it, keep doing it, keep stocking it. Because you can do it once or twice where you carry a product and you go, oh, it's not selling after a month, and you wipe it out. Just carry a product, sell it, wipe it out. After a few times, people start to recognize that's what you do, mm-hmm. and two things will happen. Some people will just not buy from you because they'll say to themselves, "Well, I don't want to get into that game because it won't be around." Right? There's no support. The second thing that will happen is people go, well, I'll wait till it goes on discount. Yep. And then you, that can lead to two different problems. One, it will lead to, to you being annoyed because oh, these guys only come in and buy when it's on sale. Two, it could also trick you into thinking, well, my game, this game could be great. Let me just buy more of it <laughs> when it's only being bought because it's on discount. Mm. Which is the second point is thing that we learned pretty quickly is also knowing when to kill something, right? When is a game, a product, a range just not working and you have to wipe it out, right? And the same thing we learned pretty quickly. You can't do, you know, a sale. You can't do, um, you know, letting something linger and die in your store. It has to be excised completely and removed. So we remove it from the floor. We remove it from the store. We remove it from our website. It's just gone. And we have different ways we sell. We, you know, we we sell online. Like any retail store should really just sell online. It's, it's it's a horrible thing. But you should have a website. You should have an eBay. You should have different things, and to use as a vent port for these products to get rid of. Um, because again, it's that image, right? You don't want to become the store that's going to have, that makes bad picks, that makes products that you're going to carry that nobody's going to buy. They're going to sit there. They're going to gather dust, and it's going to just it just 
again breeds it changes the the, the image of your brand um, so that was two of the major things I learned um, definitely about picking products uh, also you know and, and it's very important to pick the right products uh, if anyone if they ever see me at a show tell them to ask me about a game called police precinct uh, as an example of picking the wrong product uh, we went in saw this game police precinct decided we wanted to own this game we wanted to control this game so we bought all the copies in print okay. which was the worst idea I've ever done <laughs> Uh, it, it lost quite a lot of money, um, but the, it's weird, right? It's 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 being careful in what you pick at the time because the idea behind us buying that game was sound, um, because now you can't find it anywhere for less than a hundred dollars for a sixty dollar game. Hmm. But the timing and the control of the funds and, and the selection choice at that time was wrong. Um, so definitely a, le a harsh lesson we learned that was like twenty sixteen. Um, is being careful. If you're going to pick something, yes, you have to go full into it, right? You have to control it, but you also have to be aware, you have to do your research and know, is this something that is going to sell? Because you don't want to have to do that nasty excisation. Is that even a word? Exorcism? <laughs> <laughs> I got very Irish on that one. We just make up words and add, add vowels and consonants everywhere. But you don't want to get to the point where you have to cut that game out entirely, right? Because that's also a loss. So it's, we got hit when people, I like to tell people about police precinct because I made the wrong choice at the time. So that my, my reasoning was sound, right? My reasoning is control the brand, control the product, control the price. So it doesn't get heavily discounted. Um, but my timing and my selection were wrong, which led to a, cut because it just had to be fully removed because you can't let it linger and die uh it just had to be fully removed and cut out was also painful um so definitely the harshest lesson i think i've ever learned and that Two is the most important thing that. That i think I i've know, seen what was it about that game that you're like this is the one i'm gonna buy them all why what was what were the indicators that made you feel like that was the right move um so it was it was one of the, at the time it it was the second edition so at the time, the first edition was the highest rated solo game. Um, we thought the mechanics were very unique. And again, it was a case of here is a chance. And we were told, this is the entire print run for the U.S. Um, and we were like, well, if we do this and we can buy it and we can sell it and we can get it moving, we can control the price. We're the only person that's going to sell it. So again, it's our brand. It's our item. Um, and we get to corner the market on it. So... It was all very, very sound, and I would, if I could do it again now, to be honest with you, I do do it now because I publish products, right? It's just, that's the same idea. Um, only instead of me buying from a distributor, I literally buy, I create the license and create the game. Um, so the, the the whole idea of of what it was and what we wanted was sound. It was just at the literally the time, the finances. Um, to be honest with you, it was 2016. It was November 2016. Is November? When was the election in 2016? And something we never expected, right? Something we never expected was we saw a sharp tank in business after the election of 2016. Because I guess people were running thinking the world was going to explode and find guns and ammo and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> and that was something that we didn't expect, right? That was, that was a harsh lesson, which I guess as well is, again... I always say you have to go full in, right? You have to carry a product. You have to carry a full range. You have to prove it. But also you don't want to put all of your eggs in one basket, which was something that we did with this, right? You don't want to 
spend too much on one product range. So again, you know, you got to tinker the size of your business, a small store, going back to bolt action. That game has 500 SKUs at least. Well, if you're a little store in, say, Idaho that might only have 40,000 people, you probably don't want to carry that range and you need to make that choice. Is this a product for me? Um, Because different different strokes for different folks. I mean, again, Atlanta is, what's the metro area? It's like nine and a half million people. (laughs) There's a lot of people going to look for your products there. Yeah, you've got a lot of variety of of, uh, people and a lot of room to potentially try out a lot of different experiments. Mm-hmm. Whereas if your population was 9,000 or 90,000 or even 900,000, you'd be far more restricted in what you could potentially risk on certain things. Yeah. Which I think brings me to my second question, which was you, you mentioned that like one of the key skills as a store owner is to know which one to bet money on, which game to mm-hmm. go into, right? Because if you've got to, if you've got to commit, you got to, if you're going to carry a line, you got to carry the whole thing and you got to make sure you go deep you and it's, it's worth your time and it's worth the customer's time. Yeah. How do you know? Yes. Like, how do you what are some indicators that people should be looking for to know that they're going to make the good choice? So there's, there's a lot of, it's a lot of curation, right? So again, you go back to that. We are a third place store, right? All game stores are a third place where people go to spend their time. So with that, you start to see, depending on the type of business you build, right? The brand you build, um, the people you invite, the people who feel welcome and come to your store, you know, that, that will lean what products you're going to carry, you have to listen to people, what they're talking about, what are their interests. But also you have to you have to curate, right? So what interests you as a store owner? What uh, what do you think has value in your area, right? Not, and it's not strictly what do you like. I mean, I don't play Age of Sigmar, right? I like the world, but I was very angry when they killed Warhammer. <laughs> and I think I was angry for like five years. Um, but I still excel a lot of Age of Sigmar, right? I've got over it now. You know, it only took like 10 years. Um, but you curate that, right? You know, okay, well, I know the people coming in will have an interest in this or might have an interest in this. You like um, product A, maybe you like product B, right? And you you start to curate that way. And you have to do more so than ever before, you have to do a lot of um, research on products, what's coming out. A lot of Kickstarters, you know, a lot of... Uh, just seeing what people are building, a lot of talking to publishers at shows, seeing what's coming down the line, what are the trends coming. I mean, two years ago, I think there was a gigantic trend of cat games. Then it became a trend of plant games. <laughs> you know, and you watch the trends, and there's just so many different little moving parts. Um, you know, and also listening to your employees, what do they like? Because your employees will, will influence how your store runs and how it is and what they have interest in as well. Um, so it's it's just a lot. It's a lot of it's a lot more work than it used to be. Again, it's another weakness that distribution, as I mentioned earlier, has. They just send you a sheet and go, "Hey, here's the new board game releases. How many do you want?" But they don't tell you, "Hey, your store is heavy into cooperative games, or your heavy is into your game. So these might be something that you want," uh, which is something that Bridge tries to do. Uh, just get a few more little uh, solicitations in there. Get people reason to come talk to you, right? Yeah, yeah, and and but because but the reason that is the people who work for us know products, they're interested in the products, and they they their exuberance shows out and it feeds into the customers, and then also we take in what the customers like, and, and that kind of you know uh, shows what we will carry or decides what we will carry. Um, again, going back, I mentioned we carry a lot of puppet wars this week. The reason we do that is we know we have a huge base in Atlanta of 40k players and fantasy players, but 
the 40k player base in, in Atlanta is absolutely insane. I think Atlanta is known as the geek capital of America, right? And so we are going, well, we know these are, just an example, we know we have an experienced miniature gaming crowd in Atlanta, right? So you go, all right, we know they have models. We know they're going to have, they're going to buy less Warhammer because of that, because they already own the models. So let's pivot. What can we get to help them? Well, conversion pieces, right? So we start carrying more conversion pieces, Chromelix, Velcro, Puppet Wars, and we average, We show that, and we go, here are things for you to modify what you already have, knowing that we don't have a new player base, we have an experienced and intermediate player base, and that factors in what we carry, who we carry. Um, and so it's just, again, it's just listening to your, your player base and seeing what they have. Um, but, and... Of course, as I said, you make mistakes, right? Sometimes you buy police precinct. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's that's good advice, and I like the idea of just, you know, being willing to commit, doing the research, listen to your your team because they're going to have the ear to the ground in a lot of ways that you might not be able to. You know, really oh, tap yeah. into what the customers are looking for, and then also be willing to pull the plug and not be yeah. like tied up emotionally in the decision of. of yeah, and I mean. Over some of our most successful products are games I personally have never, ever played. And some of the products we've killed are games I love. Um, and games we've brought back. You know, we carry uh, Mantic Games. We don't carry a lot of Mantic Games in our store because it doesn't really have a place. But I absolutely adore the company. But we don't really carry them because it just it doesn't fit in the area. Whereas uh, Parabellum makes a game called Conquest that I think is kind of cool, but I've never touched it in my life. But that game, we, we keep expanding, expanding, expanding because the player base is there for it. And so, yeah, as you said, don't get emotionally involved. Um, you know, you have your picks, you have your picks, but you also have to listen to what are the picks of other people. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't want to keep you all day. I feel like we could just keep going, <laughs> but like, I'm sure you've got like lots of things to do over the course of this day. And you've got, like you see, you got to track down those uh, shipping containers that are, uh, that are missing. Oh, uh, I, I'm, I locked the door to my office. I've had people looking at me and I'm just ignoring them. So. <laughs> well, great. If we're cool for a little bit longer, I would love to ask a few more questions. So, yeah, sure. Uh, advice. You know, if there's a, let's say there's a new retailer, somebody who's just kind of gotten started, they've opened up in the last year or so, or they're thinking about mm -hmm. getting started sometime in the near future. What kinds of advice would you give to somebody who's getting into this business for the first time? Um, so definitely your identity, right? Step one, figure out what you want to do. What as, as I call it the brand, right? What is your brand? What is your, your, your mission statement? What, who do you want to be? What do you want to service in the area? And then once you figure that out, look or actually look around and see does it already exist right the one thing we see is so many stores open and we see stores here in Atlanta open all the time and they go oh, I'm going to open in Midtown and you go okay why why are you opening in Midtown well there's no one within you know 10 miles okay why <laughs> and you start looking into well why does it not exist here why is there is there an opening in this and if it is a valid opening, then by all means, jump in. But do a lot of research in why it, something is not there. Um, so you, you pick your brand. I want to sell miniature games. I want to be the miniature game guy. Uh, I'm going to go into this area. Well, it doesn't exist. Well, why doesn't it exist? There's no player base. Or um, there's a mega store just outside that's just going to suction out all the player base, right? They're, they're going to dr literally will drive past you 
to go to another store 10 miles further down the road because because the knowledge, say it's gigabytes, right? That store's been there 16 years. I don't even have to call. I know if I go there, there's going to be people, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, definitely consider if if there is value in your product, in your business being there. And if there is value, same thing, go in full, right? Don't go in with a, with a, a table and a backpack and try to skate on by because you can't do that anymore. You have to commit and you have to be willing to commit. So, and, and that that's kind of the second part is make sure you have the resource and you have the prep and you have the planning done for it and you know what you're going to carry and, and place the product correctly. Um, you know, I see a lot of people online and they're like, oh, I have like, you know, 50 grand to open a business. And you're like, it's not going to get you very far anymore in, in 2023. I need to like at least, God, depending where you are, at least triple it, right? Um, so that would be the main thing for me is make sure uh, make sure there is a reason for you to actually open a business first off, right? Yep. Um, yep. And the other important thing is treat it like a business, right? I, I, I love hobbies. I love the hobby industry. I love gaming. But I don't game anymore. <laughs> you know, I haven't touched a board game or a miniature in probably three years, right? Um, and I just have my second child, so it's going to be at least another three, four years. Mm-hmm. But you, too many people also get into it and go, oh, I'm just going to, you know, sit down and play Friday Night Magic at nights and, and run games. And you can't do that, right? You have to treat your business like it is a business, right? You you still got to file your taxes. You still got to pay your employees. You still got to pay your rent. So you have to treat your business the way it is. Um, that would be the other very, very important thing is like you be aware, think about what you are doing it for, right? So first you want to know what you want to be. Second is that you want to know why you want it to be, right? Why am I opening a game store? Am I doing it just to get discounts on board games? Because it's not worth it. It's not worth the hassle. Um, and, you know, you you should be, to be honest, it, it sounds horrible to say, you should be doing it to to be successful, right? To, to make money, right? That's the main reason you should run a business, any business at all, right? Because we get a lot of people go, oh, I want to service the community, right? Again, going back to the, I, I want to open a miniature gaming store in Midtown Atlanta because there's nobody within 10 miles and I want to service these college students at, at uh, George Tech. But that's community service is not going to put bread in your table, right? You know what I mean? It's not going to make you super successful. And there's an idea that in this industry that that's acceptable, right? Uh, one thing with the hobby industry, it's it's amazing. I love it. It's definitely the most one of the most exciting industries I've been involved with, and I have not been involved in many. But but I've grown up in, in business, right? I've grown up in in in, in sales, and, and you know my family sells clothes. They sell CDs, hi-fis, TVs. So we've grown up in life, and I've seen those industries. And the hobby industry is so different to that, but it's also so far behind in that they've okayed um, just getting by, right? Um, I saw a thing recently saying, you know, if you can make 40 grand a year on your business as the owner, that's acceptable. But, but then why not just go get another job? You know what I mean? And not have to stress, yeah. you have to work with. Um, so definitely if you're going to open a game store, you know, know what you're going to do, know why you're going to do it and treat it like a real business with, with target goals for success, right? Not just to get on by, have discounts, play games because suddenly you'll be, you know, 
mid 40s, 50s, and you have no retirement fund, right? Or you have no health insurance, or you, God, you don't even go on a vacation. <laughs> you know, pre pandemic, you know, we would, it's hard to say this without bragging, right? Sounding like you're bragging, right? I don't want to, it's not. But a big thing for me being Irish is travel, right? Me and my wife, we love to travel. And so a big thing with our business is we want to be able to travel. So prior to the pandemic, we would travel four or five times a year. And, but we factor that in, right? That's the thing we want to do. We factor that into the business. How do we make the business work that we can still do that? And that's what you have to factor in, right? That's a measure of, you have to, what is your measure of success? What is, you know, how are you going to make enough money in the industry to do that? How are you going to make enough money to pay your employees correctly? You know, how are you going to offer your employees benefits, 401ks, health, um, you know, everything basic that you can do. And I don't think enough people go into the industry and think about that, right? They just think, oh, I'm going to open a store by myself and I'm going to work 60, 80 hours a week. Maybe I'll pull money out after like five years. You can't do that anymore. I think that is very good advice. And you actually allude to like one of my, one of my uh, final questions about uh, the nature of success, oh. which is fantastic. <laughs> I'd love to dive into that. Uh, but yeah, that's, I think that is a common misconception or an issue that a lot of store owners come into is that, you know, the idea of doing it for the community, like the community needs it. It's like, yeah, yeah you can't get lost in that because ultimately you'll end up, you know, in a potentially in a life position where you do not want to be, right. You don't, you don't want to open yeah. a, I remember you mentioned Gary Ray earlier on that, uh, his his scenarios for success in this industry are like oh you know either you get in and you fail that sucks right business yeah. just doesn't take off and you, you for a variety of reasons you end up losing a lot of money that's not a good that's a tragedy right but then there's also a second yeah. level of like you get in and you're just successful enough that you don't fail but you're not successful enough to go anywhere else like, yeah you're just living a half life. Like purgatory right. a life. for however long yeah. you're willing to endure it it's it's a life of servitude right like you were going in to but you're not getting anything out of it. Um, and that just, that's a place for, you know, if you want to do that, then, you know, volunteer, right? You know, do charity. Don't, don't open a business because that, as, as much as good or bad, and that's a, a debate for our thing, you, we, we live in a pretty capitalist society and it's not forgiving for people who want to get into business and serve, right? You know, there's there's other ways to do that. Um and it's, the thing is, it's a horrible thing to say, right? It's it's it sounds terrible. It sounds like you know you're just being cutthroat, but you kind of have to. And you say you know servicing your community, you actually service your community better by running a successful business and making profit. As, as, as pay, but you know, with the profits you make, yeah, pay yourself so you have a life, right? Pay yourself so you enjoy your life, and it makes you want to run your business more. But then also pay your employees so they're happy. Right, so you have good, happy employees because that feeds through to your community. Then with the profits, but also grow your business and, and give back to your community, right? Because as I said earlier, you can't compete on price, but you can compete on what you offer. So by running a successful business, you can take those profits and put it back into your business to make it better for your community, which in turn makes them buy more and you spiral upwards instead of spiraling downwards. Um, and it's just something that a lot of people don't get from the front because you say, oh, we'll make profit. And they go, well, that's a nasty word. Or take three cruises a year, and they go, "Well, that's outrageous." Like, but why? You know, if you if you run a business successfully, and you factored in, this is what I like to do. You know, if 
factor it in and make sure that's a thing. Otherwise, you're just going to hate what you do. Absolutely. And I, I don't know how many people need to hear the message, but you don't. You shouldn't feel guilty for being successful. Like there's. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is, it is. But that's the thing that's very much in the hobby industry is that that guilt factor. Yeah. Um, is the guilt factor exists and makes you feel bad of being successful or what people think are successful. I mean, uh, I don't know. Stuff seems to be always on fire on the back end for me. So I don't know. It doesn't feel like success 90% of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's, that's a great segue. And the the last question I do want to finish on before we tell everybody where to, you know, go to connect with you and how to, you know, really find out more about bridge and gigabytes and everything like that uh, is I want to explore success because success is an ambiguous term. Mm -hmm. It means different things for different people. And we kind of, explored this a little bit, you know, already in that question. Uh, but the theme of this whole podcast is what does it take to be successful? So I yeah. want to ask you, what's your personal definition of success for you with yourself, your business and, and everything that you're doing right now? And like, just what does that look like? So for me, it's, it's doing the things I want to be able to do without stress, right? As I said, I, I mentioned cruises. The reason I mentioned cruises, is I, I'm a cruise fanatic, right? Um, I'm, you know, I haven't cruised in like three years thanks, thanks to the pandemic. But so I want to be able to travel and go on vacations, right? So me, success is being able to do that without having to worry. Um, so I leave my store for a week and I know it's it's still there. It's still running. It's still doing things while I'm away. Uh, so that's one level of success, right? That's personal level of success. There's the same things, you know, having a 401k. You know, personally for me, as I mentioned, I have I, we just had our second child um, openings custodian accounts and five two, 529s and making sure their future is taken care of, that's success for me, right? And the minute I can't do that through my business, I have to question why am I doing it, right? So I want them to turn 18 and hand over this and go, here you go, you you are set for life. Well, <laughs> you have a start to your life to make yourself, right? I, I've done what I can. That is success to me. Um, you know, uh, I'm, a, I'm also a Disney fanatic. I want to be able to go to Disney three times a year and not have to worry and not feel bad and not consider, oh, well, what's a five-day pass at, at a park? That, that's kind of success, right? That's all personal success, right? That's that's one level. The second level is, as I said, between Bridge and Gigabytes, I have about 55, 56 people who work for me. I want them to grow and I want them to earn a wage be happy in their job, show commitment, excitement. And I have people who worked with me for over a decade at this point. Um, that's success, right? They, they, still, they, they still want to see me every day. <laughs> <laughs> that's success. And I also have people who have started their jobs and then they've grown into their forever job, as we like to call it, right? You work, come to Gigabytes out of high school and you're working and teach them. How do you run it? Same thing. How do you run a business? What do you do? Why are you doing this? You know, why, why do we stock this product? Why do we price this this way? And then you watch them go into the world and have their own jobs. I mean, I know one, he's, he's like a pretty successful accountant now. And he actually has always come back every so often. He's like, I really appreciate working. You know, I learned so much. And it's that first step into a real life. That's success, right? Um, and just having the story, you know, having people talk positively about retail store and wanting to come back. And again, it's the same way I have employees who work for me over a decade. I have customers who have come to me for over a decade. And you see them every week, same time every week. They come in and they're always coming to you and they want to talk and they trust you. You know, they want to ask your advice. They want to, you know, I get Facebook messages like, hey, should I sell my, my D&D, limited edition D&D covers or should I hold on to them, right? That's, they're trusting you with, with your advice, right? That's, that's success, 
Um, so there's there's multiple different ways, right? Like, so there's that personal, what do I get out of it? And then there's also, what can I give? And um, and that's, if I can do both of those things, the business is fully successful. That is a fantastic answer. Very multidimensional. Yeah. I like it a lot. And I think, I think anyone who's listening should be paying very close attention because I feel like this is a really good model for what, what you can achieve. Like not just in life, mm-hmm. not just in the business of the retailer side of things, but like, like everything. I feel like you've got a really good handle on where you're going with things. And I feel like there's a lot of store owners who nah, I don't want to be mean and say like they're pigeonholed, but they've, we restrict ourselves. We don't have, yep. it's very hard for us to have a vision for what we could possibly be. Most people are very, very much like, here's my level. I can maybe get a little bit higher, but I'm not going to get 10 times higher. But you could, yeah. you went and you tried. You could, you had the vision but you it. could. Um, you, you, you could definitely do that. You know, a big personal goal for me as well I, um, is, is that, right? You're saying people, people get stuck on where I am, right? This is what I do. It's what I do every day. Why not do a little more? You know, why not try to do a little more? Go, oh, I can't. And they go, well, why not? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and, and so like that, down to, as I said, like trying to make a big goal for me in the last few years um, for my staff, right? They would go, oh, you know, it's hard to live, right? You live, it's, it's very expensive. And I go, well, you should probably plan for your future. You know, I have one guy, when, he, when we hired him, he was 24. Uh, he's worked for me three years now. Um, but when he's 24, he goes, oh, I don't have any savings. I don't have any any... Uh, investment funds. I don't have anything like that. And I said, well, why not? Well, how do you live? I can't do it. I said, I guarantee if you, you could put 50 bucks away every paycheck. And if you do that, you'd find how to do it. And now he has an investment account. And again, it's, 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 it's being realistic in your means. But for him, you know, you start at 24, by the time you're 54, even if you're only putting 50 bucks away every two weeks, that adds up. And that's, that's kind of the mindset we're trying to change for people in the business because he thinks, Oh, I work in the hobby industry. I can't afford to do that. But why not? You know, why not? Why can't you afford it? But you can, you any, anybody can, if you just look outside it. Yeah. Even if you just think, okay, well just, you know, if you need that 50 bucks or whatever, just work an extra three or four hours a week or something, just spread it out exactly. a little bit, just, exactly. just a little tiny bit, right? Just a little bit more and, and get through. And the same thing for retailers, you know, a little bit more, try a little more. And that goes back to that. You know, uh, to loop back around, if you're going to carry a product, carry it a little bit more uh, wholeheartedly and effect, and effect uh, fully than just dipping your toe in, right? So I think that if there's any takeaway, that's it. Like, whatever you're going to do, you got to go full hog into it. <laughs> but but still, you know, be mindful. Yeah, no, it's, I think that is a fantastic point to end on. So where can people go to find out more about Bridge? Where can they connect with you? Like, how give the plugs, like really give them the chance to, to reach out. Yeah, sure. So, so various different ways. Uh, I'm a Facebook addict. I'm always on Facebook. Uh, I will be at Gamma Expo. So any retailers are going to be at Gamma Expo. Bridge has a booth there. Uh, I'll be there all week for the talk. If they want to check out Bridge, they just go to bridgedist.com. Uh, that's our main retail site. You can see all the publishers we carry. And it has links if you want to do fulfillment and Kickstarter fulfillment. And then for Gigabytes, uh, we have gigabytesonline.com. Uh, that's our, our retail retail uh, store online. Uh, but otherwise, just I mean, I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, I'm probably on Instagram. I have no idea how to use it, but <laughs> I can be reached pretty much any day. And I I love talking to people, right? I love 
trying to help people and talk and, and get in touch with people. Excellent. And I'll make sure the links to all of that stuff will be in the show notes as well. So it'll be a little easier for people to just click and find that stuff out. Uh, but yeah, That's thank me. you very much for, for chatting with me today. This was a lot of fun. I'm, I'm really glad we had this conversation. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking everybody got a lot of value out of this one. So definitely a, uh, one of my, one of my more enjoyable episodes. <laughs> as long as you understand the accent, it gets a bit Irish every oh, so often. I was very glad to be like, Oh, you're Irish. That's perfect. I love accents. I, I wish I had an accent. <laughs> mine, mine's so plain and boring, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it was a good time and I, uh, I really appreciate it. So thanks. Thanks again. All right, that is it for today's episode of the Maniverse Podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you stay up to date whenever we upload. And if you like what you hear, we'd also appreciate a quick five-star review on iTunes. And don't forget, enrollment is officially open for the April 2023 Digital Marketing Bootcamp. We are taking all of those strategies that we use for our clients and teaching the frameworks that we use to drive sales and growth online during the course of four weeks of over-the-shoulder, hands-on training sessions. You'll learn the foundations and advanced tactics of search engine optimization, email marketing, content creation, paid ads, and more. In the case you need a little more incentive, bootcamp attendees that go on to become MMA clients in the future will get the price of the bootcamp discounted on the program. We're keeping the bootcamp small, again, so the sessions can have the maximum impact. And if you want to be one of the five attendees in the next bootcamp and score an early bird discount, now is the time to join us. Go to manoversaga.com forward slash bootcamp and enroll today. Thanks again for listening to today's show. I am Tom Traplin, and I've been your host. And I will talk to you again in the next episode of the Manoverse Podcast. 